In Romans 8, we were told we were given the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That very spirit that testifies that we're God's children. So there's no question. It isn't that you have to bark or yell or speak in a different language. To be honest, the Holy Spirit is a seal from the moment you receive them according to Ephesians 1.13. We read that all things, therefore, work to the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things, disease, poverty, bills, cranky people, goofy bosses, having to move, whatever it is. It all works to the good of those who love God. Not everything works to the good of those who don't love God. As a matter of fact, most things don't. Death will not work to the good of a person who doesn't know God. It will be a very bad, very bad thing. And we read, why? Because if God knew you ahead of time, before you ever said yes to him, he knew you would. He already had a plan. And that's great news. Because I'd hate to think I came to God and then he had to figure out, now what in the world do I do with this guy? Which, by the way, interestingly enough, we could be like that as believers. We could be at that place where we want someone desperately to come to know Jesus because we don't want him to go to hell. We tell people that it's about a relationship with God. We tell people it's about a wonderful thing to be with Jesus. But then somehow in all of that, it's like, okay, now that someone gets saved, some people are like, well, okay, let's get him into church. Let's move on to the next person. And then the person feels like, well, now what? And it's like, understand that God had a plan, and this was his plan, was to conform you into the image of Jesus. The moment you said yes to him, you began an adventure. And the adventure was how God was going to turn you into more of a Christ-like human being. Now, that is supposed to be the truest gauge of our maturity in Christ. Everything from Titus and Timothy that develops what it looks like in a leader, somebody that should be even more exemplary of Christ because of that. In a simplest sense, it's just how much more like Jesus are we willing to become. Now, please understand, in wanting to become like Jesus, I'm not saying you're growing a beard and that you're going to walk around in a robe. Some of you shouldn't grow beards, for instance, ladies. But, <clears throat> but that's not what Christ is looking for. What he's looking for are people that are selfless, other-centered, sacrificial, surrendered and submitted to the Father for His will, not our own. That, to be honest, if that were really what church was supposed to be about as believers, us getting together and seeking to look more like Jesus, to behave more like Jesus, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, and to use each other, if you'll pardon me for saying, as lab rats, guinea pigs, for the very gifts that God has given us. That's a great thing. Now, I don't know about you. I'm there, my, one of my particular sort of mentalities is that I would walk into a shop, especially someplace where they make, like, for instance, it could say 1,000 teas, only teas, only teas, and I will walk in there because I actually very much like tea. really don't like coffee. And I could walk into a place and I'll say, just make me whatever you make best. Make, use me as your lab rat. Use me as your guinea pig. Funny as it is, it doesn't matter if it's at 1,000 teas. They're going to make me coffee. Even if it didn't exist in the shop, I'm going to wind up getting it anyways. I've just learned that. But there's something about a person being able to try new things on somebody that for some people, they really kind of like that. And to be honest, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people that I love to watch people get creative and their eyes get big and go, okay, maybe I could try something new. 
But please understand, we're all supposed to be that way when it comes to church. It should be the one place where we're willing to try out something. I want to try out what it would be like just to pray with someone for the first time. Do you remember, some of you, what it was like the first time you actually prayed with someone and you were convinced that your prayer was going to be dorky and dumb and insignificant and it wasn't going to be flowery enough, it wasn't going to sound like anything from the King James Bible, and it kept you from wanting to pray with other people for a period of time? Am I talking to myself on this? Are some of you out there kind of going, yeah, 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 I got you on that? And what's funny is you may have even wanted to pray with somebody that was a newer Christian than yourself, but you still thought, well, I have to pray really good because they're going to look at me and think that's going to be a really good prayer. Like, can you imagine God looking? Now, please understand, there are people like that. My wife's a prescriptive grammarian. And what that means is I could write a poem that I think is going to change the world. And I read it, and every time I'm brought to tears, and I will bring it before my wife and bless her heart, she'll just look and just correct the spelling. She'll go and she'll be looking for the commas to be in the right place. And I'm like, yeah, but the content. And she's like, that's not my job. My job is to kind of look for the commas, you know. And, and so there are people out there like that. But I don't believe God's looking at the commas. I don't believe he's out there checking your grammar. I mean, for some of you, and here's the good news. God never told you you had to pray in English. Aren't you thankful, some of you out there? Um, because for some of you, um, you know, let's be honest. English is my second language, and I don't have a first. I mean... Sorry, I'm going to turn it up here so I don't kind of distort everything. There we go. That should be better. Okay. I mean, there's, a, there's a problem out there when we feel like somehow it's the execution or the elocution of our prayers that's important. One of the most effective prayers in all of Scripture were three words. Lord, save me. Peter, when he was going down after walking on the water... Things were good. Walking on the water. Hot stuff. Not a lot of people do that. There's these little lizards that do it. But besides the little lizards, there's Jesus and one other guy in all of history. And the guy's name is Peter. And Peter starts to walk on the water. Then he sees the wind and the waves being boisterous. And he starts to sink. And at a moment like that, could you imagine if he tried to muster up a, Blessed art thou, God, who bringest us hither, Esthethern. Yes. You know, and then by the time he's done with these, is it a near or thou at a moment like this, the guy would have been dead. There's a situation where Jesus is up in Lebanon. And when he's up in Lebanon, a woman comes up to him who isn't Jewish. And you probably read the story, and if you read the story, it sounds pretty rough, pretty harsh. Because the woman says, have mercy on me, son of David. And he doesn't give her the time of day. My daughter's possessed. And then he finally turns to her and says something really peculiar. He says, it is not good to take the bread and throw it to the dogs. And you think, gosh, this poor girl, this poor girl is like her mother or her daughter is is possessed. And she's trying to get help. And all Jesus is doing is calling her a dog. You think, man, that's harsh. Please understand what was going on there. This girl isn't Jewish. She probably didn't even know who David was. All she knew was that Jesus had the title Son of David. Have mercy on me, Son of David. And Jesus is like, you don't talk that language. I can't hear that. Finally, she says, Lord, could you help me? And he goes, that's what I was looking for. And that was as simple as it gets. Sometimes what the Lord is really just looking for is just your honesty, not the elocution of your prayers. Understand, to make you more like Jesus is to make you more selfless, to make you more humble. That's it. Now listen, 
He called, He justified, He glorified, because that's what's going to make you look more like Him. And then it ends with, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who can bring a charge against you? Who could condemn you? Who could separate you? Who could stand against you? No one. And if that's the case, we stand in this crazy victory as Gentiles. And then in chapter 9, Paul would say, but I have continual, let's go back to this though. I have this great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for the Jewish people. And they have no idea what they're robbing themselves of. I mean, they had the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the service, the promises, the fathers. Even Jesus came from that lineage. And they have no idea what they're robbing themselves of because they haven't said yes to Jesus. It wasn't like the word of God has failed in this. Not everyone who claims to be is actually truly so. We know that. There are opposers in everything. But we do know this. God plays for keeps. And because he's sovereign... He knows how to play it right. Because he's smart, he knows how to use anything as a tool. Raising up, showing mercy, hardening a heart. He knows how to do everything to get the most people to say yes to him. And now we find that the Gentiles have become a major player. And that's a really strange thing. And that really is the focus of these three chapters. Isn't the Jews as much as the Gentiles? Because it's like, okay, the Jewish people, God's going to restore them in the end. But what in the world is God doing with the Gentiles? Because that's a strange mercy that's being shown in that. And yet all of those... Who seek the Lord must seek him by faith. Because whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And that's how the last chapter ended. Was whoever. And if you put yourself in that simple chapter, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Isaiah 1, 8, I'm sorry, Isaiah 8, 14 and 28, 16. And that takes us to our chapter here. Lord, please let your scripture come alive for us. Let your word manifest in our lives. May we truly be blessed, brought closer, ministered to, Lord, on this day where some of us may be a little sun-drained, a little beat by the heat. And yet, Lord, we've gathered together tonight to truly engulf ourselves in your word and to be changed and transformed. And I thank you for that. Please bless this night. Lord, please bless your saints. Please minister to and through us tonight. Lord, make us people who are willing to experiment, that are willing to go for it, whether that is to go and pray for someone, Lord, or whether that is to, if you feel, we, we believe we have a word in our heart for someone here, Lord, that we should be quick to be able to share it, knowing that they'll test it and not grab a stone. But whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that we would, as a church, be people that are just willing to go for it, whatever that is that we would have that go for it in our hearts. Because we know, God, that you're good. And Lord, you're going to put those good things in before us. And so, Lord, now let your scripture burst open and come alive and grab a hold of us. And may we find ourselves in it right where we belong. By the power of your Holy Spirit, minister, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. Now listen, the whole point of this is you might wonder, well, what in the world, why are the Jews in the first place? If you're not raised in a Jewish environment, you're like, so what's the big deal? It boils down really to something like Isaiah 49.6, where God says, is it too small of a thing that you should, be, you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? But I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. God had to pick a specific group of people where Deuteronomy 7, 7 gods wasn't because they were cute or big or strong, but because they were seemingly in the sight of everyone else, insignificant and small. And by the way, God has this habit of picking the underdog. He seems to have a soft spot for the underdog. And with that, he says, I picked you because if I did something through you, I would get the credit. 
And he has a habit of doing that. We draw Samson like he's this giant muscular guy, but if Samson were a giant muscular guy, who would be asking him the secret of his strength? And we tend to realize that God tends to pick, and the first Corinthians makes it clear, the weak to shame the strong, the foolish to shame the wise, those that despise, those that are base, those that are, are not. In other words, he picks the underdogs, the socially challenged, the people who dribble when they speak, the people who you would think that person probably isn't going to amount to much. And then when God does something amazing through him, people go, yep, yep, I guess that must be God. And God did that with the nation Israel. That doesn't make them any lesser human beings, but they were given, and understand, if I were to tell Peter, Peter, I choose you, Peter would be wise to say, for what? If I say, surely, I choose you, Katya, I choose you, you would be wise to say, for what, before I say yes? I think it would be weird if I said that, Jay, I choose you, and Jay just ran out and the first thing he got was a shirt that says, I'm chosen by Pastor Anthony. Never even asking what it was he was chosen for. And here's a brush, bro, go scrub the toilets. Well, I don't like being chosen anymore. Please understand, God chose a nation not because he was going to choose them to love only them. He was choosing them for a mission, and the mission was to be a light to the rest of the world so that they could be the vehicle for salvation. Now, we could look at that, and if we have any form of condemnation in our heart, shame on us, because the church isn't doing any better. God says, okay, now I'm using the Gentiles. I'm using the church for that same purpose. Are we really being used? I'm not talking about us sitting in this room. I'm talking about the church in mass, that which is called Christendom. Are we really being the light to the unsaved world? Are we really being that, that font of salvation to the rest of the world? Do they know this is where they could bring their cup and truly find eternal refreshment? Or are we just another club? Because here's the crazy thing. If you want to play around with the world and play around with God, you will be convinced this is a joke. And you will blame everything but yourself. And when that happens, you'll start going, this doesn't work. Because after all, this doesn't... Think of it this way. Let's say you were rotund and obese. And as you were rotund and obese... Somebody put you on a health plan. And they said, if you were to go on this health plan in six months, you're going to look like Peter. I'm speaking to guys now because like Naomi probably doesn't want that. And so let's just say, and let's just kind of play it out a little bit. Let's say that it's Bruno, but or Fruno, that remember that Fruno guy who happened to be, for whatever reason, woke up one day gigantically just large, looked like a like an orange. And, and so here's the, and he goes and he's, and, 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 and by the way, at that point now, Bjorn and Jay happen to have started a new business on helping obese people get thin and look like Peter. And it's called looklikepeter.com. And so, Fruno goes there, speaks to them, and says, here's the special thing. We have this special, this, this, this little tablet that's just a natural herb that you, that you take in the morning with a glass of orange juice. Here's your lunch every day. Here's your dinner every day. And with that, you take this particular capsule in the morning, you take this particular capsule at night, and in between, here's a very mitigated, very special diet you're going to have. And here's a little bit of exercise as well. And so what happens is, and in, you know, that, that Fruno decides he's going to give it a shot. So what he does is, for a week, he takes the tablets, he tries a little bit of the diet, a little bit of the exercise. Week two, 
it's a couple pieces of cheesecake, it's a couple big, fat, juicy, dirty burgers at one meal, and it's, you know, things are starting to change a little bit. And you know what's going to happen by the time a month's up. He's going to look at Bjorn and he's going to look at Jay and say, your diet didn't work. And that's unfortunately what happens with Jesus on so many occasions. Is that people look and they play this game like it's just not working, but they're really not diving into Jesus. They're not letting Jesus be the Lord of their life. What they're letting, they just want Jesus to bail them out and then they're going to try to figure out how to get the rest of the fun they can from the world until they go to heaven. Chapter 9 begins the same way that chapter 8, or chapter 10 begins the same way as chapter 9 in the sense of Paul's broken heart for the, for the Jews. But understand, God had a purpose for the Jews and that was to raise them up to be a light. And now he's got that purpose for us to do the same. And he says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they would be saved. Now understand, notice here, his desire was not that they would be crushed, that they would get destroyed, that they would be killed. And this is very different, by the way, from a lot of other religions out there, where if you disagree with what, what they say, you're really not fit to live. It's actually a base doctrine in several of these particular other religions, where if you do not accept their religion, you are literally not fit to live. You can pay a tax money, you can pay a certain amount so they don't destroy you, but in the end of it all, you're either good for your money or you're good to die. And that's basically it. And there was even that mindset among the Jewish people to some degree, because they, there were those among the camp of Shammai who were basically saying that Gentiles were created to fuel hell. And so understand here, though, there's a very big difference. Now, understand, let's go broad spectrum on that. Think of the person who drives you the baddest, the person who makes your life just utterly terrored. You know, the person where you just know you really got to prep up before you come into them. You know that if you're going to encounter them at all, it's going to take some serious, serious effort. Start it with that for a moment. Now, understand, if we were like the rest of the world... We would say, God, get them to Siberia, get them run over by a train, get them whatever it takes, just get them out of my life. And, I don't, and pardon me for saying, before I knew Jesus, that was pretty much my mindset for every human being. I mean, the fact that I love you guys is such testimony, I'm sincerely. The fact that I love anything, anyone other than myself, is testimony of what Jesus has done and is doing in my life. But understand, when I look at people out there, and I see them toting their anti-Christian banners. And I see them trying to get all of these things that are, that are not just lost, but antagonistic towards Christians. You know, some people, it's like that's their whole life, is to try to make Christians angry. Have you seen that? It's like, you know, I've never seen a, you know, any form of t-shirt that insults Buddha. You know, oh my goodness, could you imagine somebody putting the things about Muhammad that they put about Jesus on their shirts? Or on, you know, on their little whatevers that they put and they stick up all over the place. And yet, strangely enough, it's Jesus. Of course, and the reason is because he's the real God and we are offended by that. And we, to some degree, we should be. But here's the point. I don't look at an individual and I go, God, kill that person, or do I? I actually do in one way, and this is it. Is if God killed that person at the cross and they accepted Jesus Christ, they would be a new creation. And the person that's such trouble will have been executed properly. That was one of the things we've dealt with when you deal with somebody suicidal. And they say, I want to kill myself. And I say, well, actually, let's talk about that for a second. The person you want to die can die without you killing yourself. 
And that's one of the beautiful things about coming to Jesus, is that person dies at the cross so you could become a new creation. And then the reason I say that is we've got to stop just trying to get those problems off of us and ask God to do what he really wants to do, which is save them. Sometimes why the, why the Lord does those things, to be honest, is because he really wants somebody irritated enough so they'll finally pray for their salvation. The problem is if they bother you so much, it's a pretty good possibility you bother them too. It's really hard to be bothered by somebody. It's harder to be bothered by somebody who likes you than someone who hates you. And if what they're really bothered by is your love for Jesus, chances are there's a reason, and that's you've hit a nerve. There's an old Indian proverb that says, if you throw a rock in a pack of wild dogs, the one that barks the loudest is the one that's hit the hardest. And when you start walking through, when you've got the joy of the Lord, and you're carrying your Bible... And you're, you're not hiding anything. You're not just religious. You're not just nice. You're Jesus freak. And they're just going to have to get over the fact because you ain't changing that. And there are those that are like, well, that's, that's just who he is. And there's this, that one person that's like, Aah! and it's like Legion has just shown up the moment you walked into the store. It's very likely we've been around the block a few times long enough to know that person may very well be the next person that's going to give their life to Jesus and they're just fighting with all they've got to stop and it's not working. And when you walked in, you're kind of heaping on the love of God. You know, that's the, isn't it stupid? I mean, those of you, if you're, if you're like me, remember what it was like to fight the love of God and then you're like, what in the world am I doing? How dumb is this? This is God's love I've been fighting this whole time? And these people kept reminding me of it. And, ah, what, am I, what are you doing? Get out of my face. Look at verse 2. I bear them witness, and again, remember, it says, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they would be saved. Now, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, get the idea here, zeal, the word in the Greek, zealous. You get the idea. Listen, enthusiasm isn't enough. Do you get that? It's like it's not just that you are excited and that's enough. And you can go to some places where you could get really hooped up in excitement, but if you stay ignorant, there's a problem. And, and then what he says here is, it isn't that these guys lack passion. As a matter of fact, they're more passionate for the things that aren't true than we could be about the truth. I mean, let's be honest. Aren't there some religions out there that are doing a fantastic job of doing things with the wrong motives for the wrong thing? And here we are with the real truth. And sometimes we kind of sit around like, oh, I'm just saved. That's good enough for me. How crazy is that? But listen, I bear them witness. I can, I can testify. They do have great zeal. Oh, they're passionate. But it's just not in accordance with knowledge. In 2 Corinthians 3.15, it says, Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And I have a question for you. And I, if we were in a smaller group, I would actually put us around the table and actually ask for testimony on this. Do you remember what it was like when you first gave your life to Jesus? How clear things were for the first time? Do you remember how things, like, it, it's almost like you got a brand new dictionary and it was almost completely the opposite of the one you got before that? All of a sudden, you walked to the party that, that was, like, the night before was so enticing and you looked at it and went, oh, that does not even remotely look appealing anymore. You looked at certain people that dolled them up in certain, dolled themselves up in certain ways, and then the next day you just went and said, that doesn't draw me at all. How things changed. Now please understand something. That veil lies on every eye that doesn't turn to Christ. Listen to this. 
This is the verdict. This is John 3 now. This is the verdict. The light has come into the world. But those that loved evil would not step into the light lest their evil deeds would be exposed. Okay, did you get it? But those who actually do love the truth, do love the Lord, do love the Lord, will gladly step into the light that it would be clearly seen that the things that have been done have been done by God. Now, play that out for a second. Here's the idea. Light has come into the world. But there are some people who don't want to step into the light because if you step into the light, it's going to be very evident what you're doing is wrong. But if you're not in the light, you can say, I'm I'm doing okay. I'm a good person. I'm all right. Well, let's just compare it then to the light. Now, here's the idea. Light gets shown and they say, in this place is is the center of God's love. He wants to lavish you with this. He wants to bless you, but you got to come clean. And you're like, but if I come back here and I'm not going to walk into the light, I'm I'm going to lie to myself. So here's the idea. Lights come into the world and there are those, and what they've chosen to do is walk around with their eyes closed. Because I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look because I know that that light's going to show me for who I really am and I don't want that. Don't give me a mirror. I'm good looking. I don't need to look. I got a full head of hair. Let me tell you what, I'm looking good. You know, as long as I don't look in the mirror, I can convince myself, don't show me that mirror. I'm good without it. And so what happens then, and so we're walking around with our eyes closed and we're bumping into things and we're, we're feeling, no, 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 I know where I'm going. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. I'm fine. And we're walking around and it's the goofiest thing because we're choosing to walk around with our eyes closed before we come to Christ. And here's the craziest part to me is the response of the church. Now, again, I don't want to criticize the church in the sense like it's us, we're okay, and the church is messed up. The bottom line is we all have these tendencies. And the tendency is to tell people how stupid they are for walking around with their eyes closed. But you know what happens when you challenge someone on that? You get people who are naturally defensive, who naturally want to defend, and try to tell you how intelligent their choice is. Here's the crazy thing. What we're not doing is giving them a good reason to open their eyes. That's the difference. So I'm going to come up with a better argument. I'm going to tell you, let me tell you how dumb it is. Don't you realize how many toes you've stubbed? Don't you realize how many things you've broken? Don't you realize you're bumping into people and hurting them? Don't you realize you can't prioritize? You can't see things straight? Don't you realize you're chasing after things that are going to break in a moment? Don't you realize you're spending all your money on this and it's getting you nowhere and you're chasing your life and your ambition are things for nothing? That's what you get. And people are like, no, 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 no. I'm smarter than that. I'm better than that. I'm good. I'm very good. You, I'm fine. The moment you start going, ah, God is awesome and he's transformed my life and things are awesome. All of a sudden, there's that, you know, they're kind of like, you know, you ever do that where you almost, you open your eyes just enough where you can see, but it doesn't look like your eyes are open. You do that, you know, see, I know that now, so so, busted, you know, I've got kids and when you've got kids, if you've got kids as mischievous as mine, one eye is always open. Even when you sleep, you're kind of like, all right, the moment I hear, I'm up. Something crazy could happen. And, and the reason I say that is, is that the moment that people are walking around with their eyes closed, and we just go, you know what? Look at, I'm not telling you, I know, look at, I'm telling you, you need to be saved, because every human being needs to be saved, but let me tell you what it looks like to be saved. And they're like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm like, that's, that's cool, that's cool. But I'm going to walk next to you anyways, and I'm going to celebrate Jesus next to you, and you can decide for yourself what you want to do with that. And I've learned when that happens, people start to kind of peek a little bit. As they start to peek, they want to believe anything else did it. Well, you're just a nice person. Oh, you're an American. Oh, you're from California. Of course that's the case. Until it rains for like eight years straight. And then they're like, well, now you should be bumming. It's freezing outside. Now you shouldn't be happy. You should be like the rest of us, living off of caffeine and, you know, plugging our IVs from Starbucks. Like, no, actually, it's just Jesus. 
Now, now here's the point. It says here, I bear them witness that they have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge. Notice verse 3. It says then, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Now, clearly, listen, there are two kinds of ignorance and there are two kinds of righteousness. Being ignorant, present, active participle. All that means is choosing to be. There's two kinds of ignorance. Ignorance because you just don't know, and ignorance because you just don't want to know. And there's a big difference. There's some things I really don't want to know about. There are other things I do want to know about, I just don't even know what I don't know. Listen, these people are choosing not to know. It's interesting because when Stephen was giving his defense in Acts 7, verse 57, it says, Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. As he is testifying, they're like, ah, la, 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 not listening, not listening, ah, la, 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 la. That's what they're doing. And funny because that was, have you ever talked to people like that? We had a cab driver like that the other day as we were trying to get somewhere. And we're like, every time we tried to steer it to the Lord, it was like the guy, like, ah, la, 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 la. It was interesting. We could tell about anything. He'd tell you the brand of his socks. But the moment you tried to bring in Jesus, it was like, ah, it was like, don't speak English. It was amazing. Listen, there's one thing about not, there's one thing about being ignorant, and there's another thing about choosing to be ignorant. But listen to this. I bear them witness. They do have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge because they don't want to know. Because what they're ignorant of is, listen, 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 God's righteousness. Has anyone ever called you self-righteous? Have you ever heard that term? Oh, you're like self-righteous. And the crazy thing is, Christianity is the only religion that isn't self-righteous. Because everything else is what you have to do. I prayed. I'm fasting because it's that season right now. I made my trip. I made my hajj. I've, I've eaten my yogurt. I've gotten in that really painful position where my feet stick up. you know. And I, I chanted, oh, until I emptied myself and felt like a cow. And I'm, okay, I'm good now. And I've eaten my granola. And, I'm, and I've got, I'm sure I must have been reincarnated 75 times. And every time I've done a little something nicer each time, it's all your works. Do you get it? Listen, God's righteousness is when God made you right. Self-righteousness is when yourself made you right. So why should you be right before God? Because I'm a good person. You're self-righteous. Because I did, you're self-righteous. Because I don't do, ah, you're self-righteous. Let me tell you why I'm right with God. Because Jesus made me right. Because I'm Jesus right. Isn't that beautiful? And here's the difference. I've never done anything perfectly. Have you? I mean, there are things where I've done where I thought, well, that's good enough. But I've never done anything on it. Now that's just perfect. But everything Jesus does is perfect. You really want to trust yourself to do something as important as your eternity? See, the one area where God knew that he couldn't afford for us to blow it was the area of, of making us right with him. And he did everything necessary except for remove our choice. Everything perfectly done. Because that part, he was going to leave no margin of error. Listen, these people don't want to know, and it's not just Jewish people, it's a lot of people out there. And it's like I'm sitting here, on my way here today, there's a guy trying to sell me weed. And it's a really fun conversation, because the guy clearly is on a handful of things. He's got a beer in his hand, and he's kind of wagging, and he's kind of like, you ever see those like wind socks? You know those things where they kind of they kind of they put a, a weight on the bottom, and then they're kind of just like this like nylon tube and things, and when the wind blows it kind of goes like this. 
Does that, does that make sense to anyone other than me? Okay, I just want to make sure here, because I want to make sure you're still alive. So he was like, what? That's what he was like. The guy was like, look, he has like a windsock. Like, you want some weed? I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, I just spent like three days ago pulling every weed that I possibly could out of the front of my yard, you know, out of the front of my driveway. I mean, that's what I think when I hear the word weed now. That's how far the Lord's taken me. You know, and I'm like, the last thing I want that. You know, I'm like, bro, no, no, man, I, I really don't, I don't need that kind of thing. He's like, I don't need that kind of thing. I'm like, look at, I, I totally know what it's like to want what you've got, but I've given my life to Jesus Christ. And he's like, boring. It was his answer. So you can imagine when that started to go. And we start walking. I'm like, so tell me about what's so amazing about your life. And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, can I start telling you what's so amazing about my life, Mr. Windsock? And so he's like, kind of walking. The, this is going on and all that. You know, and I'm just like, hey, listen, bro. First of all, I, you know, Jesus has transformed me. And I tell you what, he's, he's made me a person that loves people. And just as that's the case, one of the gals from Early Bird, if you've ever dropped by just around the corner here, Okay, I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm, some people you almost don't recognize because they only have to wear their uniform for you to recognize them. Does that make sense? Because I've only seen her behind the counter. And this guy just kind of bumps into me. She's like, hey, how are you doing? It's like, big hug. I'm like, right in the conversation with Mr., you know, Weed Windsock. And I'm like, hold on, I say, hey, how's it going? And he's just kind of staring at this whole thing while this is all happening, right? And, and, and so I'm like, oh, hey, nice to see you. All right, God bless you. Okay, chinkwe. Right? You know, and then I'm, I'll back off and I go into the conversation with the guy. And I'm like, look at my whole world's transformed. And I couldn't go four or five more steps before I'm there. I'm like, hey, how's it going, bro? He must have thought I was like the mayor of Camden by the time we were done. And it's like, and I'm like, I've only been here a couple of years. And he's like, what? You know, and he's trying to explain to me. I'm like, look at, do you know what it's like to be pure? Do you know what it's like to be whole? When was the last time you looked at yourself in the mirror and thought, this is okay? And, he's, and he stops for a second. And he's just like, and it's almost like he went, you know? And I'm like, bro, look at, he wants it for you too. You cannot have to have this anymore. He's like, oh, that's all boring. I'm like, look, at, I used to be the most violent person I knew. I was a violent, angry drug addict. And he stared him straight in the face. And he's like, oh, okay. All right. Fist pump. And off he started heading. He was going to walk with me. I shouldn't, you know, it's like, I was walking with him. I just figured I kept walking. He'd just show up at church, <laughs> you know. No, no, here's the point. I'll pray for him. We'll call him Winstock guy. But um, please listen. In the end of it all, it's what Jesus does. Isn't that what we tell people? It isn't how we prayed. It wasn't how brilliant we were to say yes. It's kind of the stupidest choice in the world to me. People are like, why would God make hell? I'm like, to make your choice easy. Look at how brilliant I was. I chose not to go to hell. Yeah, that was really smart. Don't hurt yourself. Patting yourself on the back for that. I'm like, you know what I got? I got a love. I got purity. I got a transformed life. My whole life has color. It was like I stepped out. I was in Kansas in the pre-odd state. Everything was black and white and dingy. And then all of a sudden I said yes, and I opened up the door, and everything was, was technicolor. It was amazing how everything changed. It wasn't like I just kind of tore off a little veil and went, oh, I see things a little clearly. It's like God tore off a veil, and it was like everything like was beautiful and illuminated and, and gorgeous. And they were like, whoa, I never realized. I never heard the birds sing like that. I never, I mean, everything got beautiful. And then I would see people, and even the goofiest people in the weirdest situations, and I would have love for them. It was so strange. But can I tell you this? 
think there are other veils God can, God can still tear off our eyes. It's what got me here. When three and a half, four years ago, I was brought here to help come alongside a person that was struggling. Just went for a visit. I had a couple days at the end spare, and I sat down in Greenwich, if you've ever been there, the Queen's house. She wasn't there. We didn't hang out. And, and the Lord had this beautiful little conversation with me just about asking where I was obsolete, which I was pleased to say. Things were going well whether I was there or not in the Central Coast. And it, it was like the Lord removed the veil. It was just that simple. And when he removed the veil, he showed me millions of people that weren't finding Jesus. And it wasn't like it was my job for them to find Jesus. But I couldn't sit there and do nothing about it. I just couldn't. Now listen. In Second Corinthians 3, God says that this veil is on the heart of every human being until they say yes to Jesus. And when they do, He removes it. But if you don't have that veil removed, you still know you're not right with God. The only difference is you'll take the matter into your own hand and try to invent rules that you know you'll win. Verse 4 tells us why. That's because Christ is the end of the law. The end, the word end here, telos, means the rightful end. It's, this, it's the series and how it reaches its completion. If you write a trilogy, you should not write four books. As he's told us about two kinds of righteousness and two kinds of ignorance. The right righteousness, which is God righteousness, removes all of our ignorance. And in that, Jesus is the end. Jesus says in Matthew 5.17, Do you think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets? I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. As a matter of fact, he would say that the law was our tutor. Galatians actually will tell us in 3.24. The law was our tutor to lead us to Christ. The law was there to show us we needed saving. That was that simple. The law was our doctor that diagnosed, but the law wasn't the cure. The law was the, the law was the medical book that said, Peter, you have a terminal sin. Naomi, you have a terminal sin. Daniela, you have a terminal sin. And the only cure is Jesus. Buddha didn't die for your sins. Muhammad didn't die for your sins. He didn't die for your shame. Muhammad didn't die for your shame. No one died for your shame. No one died for your sins except God himself. Aren't you thankful because he did it right? Basically, the rest of the chapter in the simplest sense, as we start moving towards it, get around to it here, is really in the simplest sense, showing that the entire scripture was agreed with that and how, this, how God makes you righteous. Verse 5, it tells us, Moses writes, and by the way, for what it's worth, Moses will be quoted and he'll be listed in 789 verses. For what it's worth, 596 of them are in the Torah. And it says, Moses wrote about the righteousness which is by the law. And he quotes from Leviticus 18, verse 5, when it says, A man who does these things shall live by him. If you really want to try to be right by the law, you're going to have to do it right all the time. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That's to bring Christ down from above. That's Deuteronomy 30, verse 12. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. That's Deuteronomy 30, 13. But what does it say? The word is near you. 
in your mouth and in your hearts. That's the word of faith which we preach, which is Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. And then we're going to see what it is. Follow me on this, because this is the way it works. This is how everything adds up. Ready? Here's the way it works. There's two sides to it. There's the side that says, who's going to step up? And the side that's going to say, who's going to step down? That's the way this looks. Who's going to step up? Who will ascend? Who will ascend as if you're going to bring Christ down? And on this side, who will descend as if you're going to bring Christ up? This is all religion except for Jesus. All religion. Because this is the way it works. Who's going to step up? Isn't that what you're told? Clean yourself up. Do this many things. To every one of those, it's like climbing the ladder. If I went to church this many times, it's another ring up the ladder. If I've prayed this many times, if I've read this many things, if I've done my catechism, if I made sure that I was an altar boy for six years, if I know how to light the candles and in what order, if I make sure that I take my trip to the sacred whatever and touch it and crawl up the steps on my knees, or whatever it is, isn't that ascending? That's you lifting yourself up as to go get God. You see that? When you talk to anyone and say, what right do you have to stand before God and have Him accept you? See how many people think it's because of what they stepped up on. As a matter of fact, you can even do that. In the Catholic Church, there are certain places where you could crawl up the steps on your knees to try to prove something. And I think, could it ever be more clear of who will ascend to bring God down than that? But then there's another side. Here's the other side. We just need to make ourselves lower. We're going to give up everything. We're going to take a vow of poverty. We're going to live in the wilderness. We're going to beat ourselves into submission. We're going to empty ourselves of everything. We're going to make sure we have no possessions. We're going to make sure that we are not attached to this world in any way. We're going to lower ourselves lower than anything. And that's the other side. In other words, it's like God's way up there and you've got to go get him. Or God's way down there because he's really humble and you need to go down there and get him. But do you notice on both sides, the one thing you all have in common is you have to get there yourself. It wasn't that God says, I'm going to come down and get you. It isn't like God will come up and get you. It's like, I'll be here, come and get me. Did you notice that? In, in both of these cases, you initiated the conversation. You initiated the relationship. Did you get that? You stepped it up. You stepped it up. Or I should say, you stepped it up, you stepped it down. Step down. Don't you dare. What if the Lord wants to bless you with something? Oh, no, 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 I can't take that. Well, what if you took it and blessed somebody with it? Well, I, I can't. I'm not even going to go near it. On this side, oh, no, 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 we'll take it because whatever we're going to do, we're going to make sure that we've let everybody know we've prayed our five prayers today and we prayed them at the right time. We did this and we did this and we did this. But is it, you know what's so dangerous? This still can happen in the church. Do you notice that? Because on this side, we want to talk about all the things we've done, all the verses we've memorized and all the places we've been and how we went out street witnessing for six hours. This is all we've accomplished and this is all what we've sacrificed. On this side, I could have been, but I gave that up. Well, you know I was going to be, but oh, I handed that over. You know, I had this really beautiful thing. And let me explain to you for 40 minutes about how beautiful it was. But I gave it to Shirley. Oh, God's going to bless me. Because he's down there and I just went and met him. Now look, at truth be told, if you gave something over to somebody because the Lord told you to, you should experience the Lord's pleasure in that until you start telling everyone else how great you are for it. Does that make sense? Bottom line is, if you prayed a hundred times in a day, but you did because you were in love with the Lord, you should feel the Lord's pleasure in that. But it wasn't to get God to do something. You did it out of the love you had for God. Do you see the difference? We don't do anything to get God to do. And be careful on that, because that could be taught to you. 
You know, we worship to get God's pleasure, to, to, to confuse the enemy, to claim our victory, and then we get it. We pray to demand God to do whatever, and we get God moving, and we put Him into our will, and we say, God, I need this, and we put it on the wall, and we stare at it, and we say, God, that. Red Lamborghini. I don't want the yellow one. Give me the red Lamborghini. And we just keep praying. Well, see, that's nuts. On the other side of it, if God did nothing to us or for us for the rest of our lives, He's still done way more than enough for us to praise Him for the rest of eternity. Isn't that true? And yet He's still going to do stuff. And He's going to do it, to be honest. Have, have any of you ever seen this happen? You've done something really stupid. You thought something, you said something, you did something stupid, and you were like, that was clearly sinful. And the Lord still blessed you that day anyways. Any of you ever see that happen? And you're like, what in the world is this? And you know what the enemy's going to say? Well, I guess it doesn't matter. You might as well sin enough. He's going to bless you anyways. And there's a part of you that goes, ah, oh, what? That's confusing signals. And the whole bottom line, think about it, the whole bottom line of it is, God wants to bless you because he loves you. He doesn't want you sinning. He doesn't want you running from him. But he loves to bless you because he loves to bless you. Hey, look, at as a dad, I know that. I mean, my kids are not perfect. As a matter of fact, the, the saddest part is when I know I have a present that I want to give one of my children and they're acting up. And I think, dang it. I can't give this to you right now. I don't want you to think that, hey, way to be disobedient to your mother. Here's a present. And I wonder how many times that is with me. It wasn't like I ever, my daughters don't earn any of the stuff I give them. It isn't like, you know, if you behave for three weeks, I could give you. I would say that just to try to get them to behave. But the bottom line is I'd still give them the thing because I'd want to give them the thing. And I'm evil. How much more your heavenly father. So please listen. Please hear me. And maybe we'll just get this far and we'll move on to the next, next week. But please hear me. There are two kinds of righteousness. There's the righteousness where God did all the work and then he put it before you and said, you make the choice, Peter. It's that simple. And then there's one where you do all the work and you lay it before God and you say, God, you make the choice. Was it good enough? Isn't that really everything? And the only one where God performed and then laid it at your feet was Jesus. It's the Bible. So there really are only two religions in the world. No matter what happens with everything else, you're still the performer the other is the audience, and they make the decision. But this one, God performed. And I would much rather be God-righteous than me-righteous any day, than self-righteous. I don't have to understand everything to understand that much. And whether that is me trying to ascend to God, or whether that's me trying to descend to, to God, the bottom line is I'm still the one on the journey, and God's at the end. How, ro- how much robbery is that for a God that died to be with you? It's like, accept my gift, please. Confess me for what I deserve to be in your life so I can walk with you on this journey. Not, I'm going to go hide. I'm going to leave you little clues. And if you can't figure out, I'm going to bop you. And so here they are. And you, you, know, you better wear the right shirt today. And you better take the right job. And you better make sure that you only make that friend and that kind of thing. And then you're like, you know, I don't even know what to do. And God's just waiting to punish me. What kind of sick relationship is that? Please, please hear me. Whether you want to think, I'm going to climb up, and I've heard guys like this, and and unfortunately it happens whether you're in the really liturgical church or in the real Pentecostal church, but there's a guy who calls himself the Holy Ghost bartender. I don't know if you've ever heard this guy. He just drives me nuts. And he said, I told God, either you come down here and give me your power, or I'm going to go up there and get it. Now which one of you doesn't think, it would be so cool to see how God responds to that one? 
I'll show you my power. Bam! How you like me now? But out of God's mercy, he doesn't. You know why? Because God just says, that man's ignorant. He has no idea who he's dealing with. But he's still saying, look, and I know where you're at. You're up there and I'm going to go get you. It's goofy. If I speak in tongues enough, maybe I could get up there. If I, you know, give to the church enough, maybe I could go up there. God's like, stop it. We know from the book of Exodus, where was the altar, beloved? It's the foot of the mountain where the law was broken. I was looking. The law was broken. That's where it is. And remember he said with every one of those places where the sacrifice was, I don't want it to be elevated because if it was elevated, you would crawl up, you would elevate yourself, and they would see your nakedness. It would be to your shame. You lifting yourself up is to your shame. Me lifting myself up, it's to my shame. Because here's the crazy part. Why would you want to go chase God when he's right here wanting to be with you? Any place you start to run, you're running away from him. You get it? So listen. So if it's not there and it's already on your tongue, God's already demonstrated it. He's already told you. So here's what it is. You ready? Let's blow it out of the water and let's close this up. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that's the first thing. And believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you'll be saved. It doesn't say, God will take a vote. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Look at it for yourself. It's right there on the text. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you have to be brilliant to figure that out? Here's the thing. Now listen, let me tell you what it doesn't say because this is really tough. Please hear me. It doesn't say if you invite Jesus into your heart. Did you notice that? Now, it all depends on what you mean by that. But let me tell you the other thing it doesn't say. If you confess Jesus as your Savior. Did you notice that's not there either? Here's the thing that could be dangerously lacking from the church if we're not careful, friends. Please hear me. Jesus demands to be more than Savior. Think about how many times Jesus says, though we know he's our Savior, how many times he says, how am I your Savior? Why do you call me Savior, Savior and not? We don't read that. I'll tell you what Jesus does say. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Look at Just confessing Jesus as Savior is not enough. Why? Because God is not interested in bailing you out of jail so you can go and be a criminal. Is that fair? Jesus deserves to be your Lord. Here's the great part. You don't have to figure him out. You don't have to tell him. You don't have to have, have master's degrees in divinity to know this. All the Lord is is a boss. And it's his job to lead and to make clear his call on your life. His job, he has the burden of communication. He knows how to speak to you. He knows how to speak to me. But he really wants you to realize he deserves to be Lord. And not just Lord of some stuff, Lord of all. Because in the end of it all, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. He is Lord of all. Please hear me on this. Because tonight, maybe tonight, you've already said, all right, I'm cool with the whole thing about Jesus keeping me out of hell. I'm just having, and let's be honest, I think that anybody anybody in the right mind should be willing to accept that. Think about it. Because why, who would want to go to hell? If all it is is Jesus being Savior, listen, if all it is is Jesus being Savior, well, that's actually just an issue about when we die, isn't it? 
I mean, in regards to he saved us from hell, so thank you. And that's what happens if we don't treat him as Lord. Is What happens is, is we have that place where we go, right, Jesus, you are our Savior, you've saved me, that's cool. See you when I die. Now I'm going to go have some fun. Jesus is like, that's not what I died for. I died to be with you right now. Now, interesting, if you're familiar with the book of Judges, please hear me because I'm almost done. If you're familiar with the book of Judges, there's this crazy cycle. And to be honest, it was my life for a period of time. Maybe it was yours too. More than likely it was. Here's the way it worked. God blessed his people and they got so into the blessing, they forgot the blesser. And when that happened, they turned their backs on God. And when they turned their backs on God, they actually went out and just dove into the world. And when they dove into the world, they found themselves in bondage. When they found themselves in bondage, they were miserable. And when they were miserable, they cried out to God, and God delivered them from that bondage and started to bless them again. And once they started to get blessed again, well, then they started forgetting about the blesser because they had the blessing. And then they went from that into diving into the world. And from diving into the world, they got into bondage again. And getting into bondage again, they got miserable. And getting miserable again, they cried out to God. And then God delivered them again. And He blessed them again. And then, and it went over and over and over. Does that sound like your life? It did mine. And you think, well, how did that stop? That season of judges. What seems like God's like, the worst thing I could do is bless you. Because if I bless you, I know you'll forget about me for the blessing, and you'll get back into the world with this blessing, and you're going to get into bondage, and you'll be miserable, and you'll finally cry out to me, listen, God wants you miserable if you don't want Him. Because it's in that misery we cry out to Him. It's in that misery we realize how weak we are and we need saving. That's rough for some of us who aren't used to being weak in just about any circumstance. We've always been able to fight or work or connive or whatever our way out of something or charm our way out of it. And God's like, I'll put you in situations where that's not going to work anymore. And then you'll be like, now what do I do? God's like, that's what I'm here for, is to deliver you, to show you. And this is how it happens. Is that when that cycle stops, because it says at the end of the book of Judges, that there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. No king in Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You make up your own rules because there's no king. I make up my own rules because there's no king on the throne. And ultimately what happens is it stops when the proper king takes the throne. When David takes the throne, judges ends. Arguably Saul, clearly David. Can I say... That's what's going to be in your life. You know when that cycle stops? When Jesus stops just being your Savior? When He actually becomes your Lord? Because when He becomes your Lord, you want to walk with Him every day. You want to wake up in the morning. And I, can I say honestly, when I wake up in the morning, I think there's a present on the end of my bed. I can almost see it. And that present's my day. And God's like, I've got a day for you to unwrap now. And it's as weird as it is, that's totally the way I see it. I wake up I'm like, all right. Let's unwrap this day. I don't know what it is yet, but I know it's going to be fun. And I don't know where I'm going. And sometimes it'll be like, oh, wow, okay, this is canceled and this is moved over and I've got to do this now and I'm going to do that. And God's like, I'm going to remind you, that's another thing you get to unwrap. I'm like, okay. You know what it is? Our train hits a piece of metal. We're going to be in a train for three hours. And I'm like, oop, I'm pulling the string of the bow again. I'm looking and going, I wonder what's going to happen in this. 
And the next thing you know, I've got a, a French teacher on one side of me, and it's pitch black, and I've got a, I've got an iPad that's lit quite well, and strangely enough, actually had battery at that particular moment. And so what do I do? Crack it open, and there I am reading my Bible, and being able to talk to her about it, and saying, let me talk to you about this, even in French a little bit, and we're going to have some fun with this. And it was so fun, and I realized I'm just unwrapping things. Now, what if that was really what you looked at your day with? But here's the thing, and the reason is, because I wasn't running my day anymore. I wasn't running my universe anymore because Jesus is my Lord and not just my Savior. If he was just my Savior, well, then I still have to run my universe. But because he's my Lord, I can say, you know what? Lead me, guide me. Okay, that doesn't mean I don't you know, try to make decisions, but everything I put is written in pencil. Because somewhere down the line, who knows what's going to happen? But I stop freaking out when the train doesn't come. You know when it's like, okay, they canceled this and this bus isn't and whatever, and I'm like, whoop, okay, I'm going to have to call and say I'm going to be late or everybody else is late, which, you know, I've had to learn is pretty normal here. And, you know, hey, let's have something at 7. See you all at 8. But I do know this, that when the day is the present, it's because the Lord is the Lord. And with that, it says, look, at, I want to confess with my mouth much more than just Jesus saved me. That's hard enough. But Jesus, you have a right to be my boss. Be my boss. Well, why don't I just think it in my mind? I think because we need to hear ourselves. Why do we still need to confess our sins? I mean, after all, hasn't he forgiven them all? Because Jesus wants to hear you say it to yourself. Well, you're saying it to him. But he knows I need to hear me say it. I need to hear me say, you know what, Lord? I'm not going to call it this. You call it this, and that's what I call it too. This is what it is. Because he doesn't want me numb to that sin. And if I don't do that, I will become numb to that sin. Stop thinking about it. So please hear me listen. If I'm willing to confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Okay, that's the first part of this. There's only two things, confess and believe. The second one, believe that God, wait a minute. Did you notice it doesn't say believe that Jesus died for me? Did you notice both of these things take it one step beyond? Jesus isn't just Savior, he's Lord. He didn't just die, he rose. Do you see the difference? Look at how this is, can I just say, here's weak Christianity at best. Jesus died for you, and you need to accept him in your heart. Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but look at what I just said. I said, as long as he saved you, he died. Let me take you beyond that. Because he rose again, he's living, and you have to deal with a living God now. Not just a guy who died meant well for you. He's living, and because he's living, he wants to live in you. He wants to shine through you. He wants to emanate through you. He wants to radiate through you. So people look and go, what in the world is all that about? And like, it's a living Jesus. That's who it is. Not just a guy who was nice 2,000 years ago, but a guy who's a living, and he's, and he's not only living, he's living in me. Because they recognized that they were untrained and unschooled, but they had just been with Jesus. That's the religious leaders to Peter and John. And that's the difference. Please hear me. Because this verse should challenge us and comfort us. The challenge is, are you just living a Jesus is my Savior and he died for me, Christianity? Or are you living a Jesus is my Lord and he rose again mentality? Because that's a very different Christianity. Do you agree with me? Now, God has called you to be more than just Jesus died for me and he's my savior mentality. He wants the world to know he deserves to be more than savior. He deserves to be Lord. And if he can't be Lord among his own children, how in the world are we going to expect them to want it? Why would they want to submit to that? 
Why do people want to live here permanently? They know there are laws and taxes that come here because they are convinced that the freedoms that come with those laws, the freedoms that come with those taxes, are better than the place they came from. Does that make sense? In America, people were killing themselves to try to become citizens, as they do here. Because they would rather live on the streets of this place than be in a palace back in the place they came from because it's so much better here for them. It came with laws. It came with rules. And if you can't get those through, you're not becoming a citizen here. Please hear me. Don't be afraid to demonstrate what it means to have Jesus as your Lord and not just as your Savior. Because He's got laws. And those laws are good laws. But those laws is a freedom that comes with it that we could not get where we lived before. And I'm going to confess Jesus not just as my Savior. It's true He saved me. But He saved me so He could become Lord. And He's my Lord. And He's the right. And when He says, this is the thing, and I, He says green, and I say red, I have to go, okay, not red, then green. That's just the way it has to be. Because it's not my will anymore. It's His to be done. And He didn't just die for me. Which is great that He died. But people die all the time. And some even die for good causes. He rose again, which separates them from every other person who died, who even meant well when they died. Jesus is unique because He's the one guy you couldn't keep down. You can't keep that good, good man down. It's as if He turned to Joseph of Arimathea and said, Can I borrow your grave for the weekend? I'll only need it for that long. Now let me ask you as we pray. Have you accepted... Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The one who died for you and rose again. Because He deserves, as dying for you, He deserves to be your Savior. As raising from the dead, He deserves to be your Lord. And people should know that this house is where real freedom dwells. And where real freedom dwells, every person should want to immigrate. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just thank you so much for how it's with the mouth that confession is made. It's with the heart that believing happens and this to righteousness and to salvation. Lord, there is a response. That is our reasonable response. Our reasonable response to your performance. Not your reasonable response to ours. It isn't like we do that and we expect you to do stuff as a result of it. You've already done it. It's our receiving what you've done. Thank you for being the performer. Thank you for putting it in our hands now to be able to say yes or no. This isn't a brilliant choice. It's a very simple choice. But I pray tonight for every one of us, Lord, that you take us beyond simple Jesus, you died for me. Jesus, you're my Savior. Thank you, by the way, for dying for us. We never want to take that for granted. Thank you for saving us. We never want to take that for granted. But we want to go beyond that to what you've called us to. To accept you as a Lord. To declare you as Lord. And believe in our hearts. To trust in our hearts. Jesus, that you didn't stay dead when you died for us. And so, Lord, as I pray this prayer right now, I pray that we would all represent the biblical Christianity that you've laid before us here tonight. And, Lord, that you would send us out to represent 
the kingdom of heaven in such a way, Lord, that every human being who doesn't belong to that kingdom, who's walking around with their eyes closed right now, would see how utter folly it is to walk around with their eyes closed when you offer such a beautiful and glorious thing. So, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, I confess Jesus myself as sinner to you, and I confess you, Jesus, as Savior by dying on the cross, as Lord by raising from the dead. And you have the right to take over my life, take the throne of my heart, and rule there. Lord, I pray that I would continue every day to wake up and see each day as a present to unwrap. I pray that every person, Lord, that you put before me, I would see as a present to unwrap. Lord, as you continue to unwrap grave clothes, Lord, from the saved, and continue to remove veils, Lord, from the lost. Thank you, Lord, that I continue to look in the mirror and see a different person every day that looks more like you, Lord. Not because I'm older or I'm growing facial hair, but Lord, because I want to be more selfless. And even, Lord, I know when that, that I didn't even have that desire to want to be that. And yet, Lord, you are continuing to change me and I thank you for it. So, Lord, please, tonight, for every one of us, please, tonight, speak to our hearts. And that we would openly say, Jesus, be my, be my Lord, be my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for raising from the dead. And as my resurrected King, rule upon me now. Reign upon me. We sang it. Before you reign upon my heart. Thank you. So here we are with yours. Jesus, in your name. Amen.